Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Happy Friday, football fans, and welcome into another edition of of the Chase Podcast. I'm Isaac Sines, and I thank you for joining me. In today's episode, I will preview Sunday's slate of games and share my predictions for each matchup. The Bengals are coming off their week nine bye and now have their sights set on Drew Brees and their potent offense. The Saints handed the Rams their first loss of the season en route to their seventh straight win and remain one of the hottest teams in football. However, Bengals cornerback Drake Kirkpatrick believes they are beatable and does not want to make this game any more important than the others. Oh uh, yeah, they're pretty good. Um, you know, I ain't about to overhype them. Uh, they definitely beatable. Um, but you know, they did a lot of good things yesterday. I feel like they outplayed them. The Titans came away with a huge road victory in Dallas and will now play host to a notable conference foe on Sunday. Head coach Mike Vrabel acknowledged his ties to Bill Belichick and the Patriots organization, but reiterated that his sole focus is to defeat them this weekend. I respect his friendship. I respect his um, you know, guidance and leadership when I played there. But now you know, we're competitors and I, you know, we have to do everything we can to try to beat him. The Eagles made a splash at the trade deadline by acquiring Golden Tate to bolster their receiving core and expect him to contribute right away. As they prepare to face the Cowboys on Sunday night, Tate looks forward to playing a role in the Eagles' offense and praised Carson Wentz's ability to complete passes outside of the pocket. You see the ball being sprayed around a lot of places. You see a quarterback that can uh, make some things happen on his feet, can throw on his Ryan with the best of them. Uh, you see a bunch of guys just making plays. Uh, that's what I like about it. It doesn't matter where the ball's going. Uh, everyone's capable of making plays. I will discuss all that and more coming up in the latest episode of the Chase Podcast. The Fall is another production of The Chase Podcast, covering the latest news and analysis from around the National Football League. Turn the Fall.
fly. Now, let's sing to your hosts. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Isaac Signs here on the Chase Podcast. It's Friday, November 9th, and I am ready to break down some more matchups coming up on Sunday. There should be plenty of good action to follow and monitor as it is already week number 10. The playoff picture is alive and well in both the AFC and NFC, so it's an exciting time in the NFL. And on that note, I'm going to go ahead and get right into the three matchups that I preview every Friday. And the first one that I want to discuss is the 7-1 New Orleans Saints at the 5-3 Cincinnati Bengals. This is a 1 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. This is a big game for the Cincinnati Bengals. They're 5-3. They're sitting right below the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC North. The New Orleans Saints are the hottest team in football right now. Handed the Rams their first loss last weekend. We all know Drew Brees, the future Hall of Famer and the league's current leading passer with a quarterback rating of 120.6. He's got this offense firing on all cylinders. They rank 7th in the NFL in total net yards with 402 Breeze, he's completing 76.3% of his passes, 2,336 yards, 18 touchdowns, and one interception. Now, they inked the all-pro wideout Dez Bryant on Thursday to a one-year deal. Now, I'm not sure if he's going to be in the starting lineup considering the quick turnaround for him getting into New Orleans on Thursday, getting acclimated. We'll see. He could be active You know, you never know how these things shape up, but in the long term, speaking for the rest of this season and into the playoffs, having a viable number two to Michael Thomas is going to make life even more difficult for opposing defenses that are going to line up and attempt to slow down this high-powered offense. So things just got a whole lot more complicated, especially for teams in the NFC that are vying for playoff positioning. Now for the Bengals, you know, they got some bad news over their bye week because AJ Green, their number one wide out, is expected to miss a couple of games due to a toe injury. And now it could have really been worse for Cincinnati if he would have needed to undergo surgery because that could have sidelined him for at least a month. So the Bengals are hoping that they can get him back after a couple of weeks, going to rest him, evaluate him on a week-to-week basis. But with no A.J. Green in the lineup, this means a heavy dose for Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd. These are two offensive playmakers that have really come into their own here in 2018. They've benefited from Andy Dalton and the way he's been able to come out and silence some of those critics because I think the seat was getting a little warm for Dalton in Cincinnati. People were questioning if he still had anything left in the tank. And I know it's silly to think that way because he's still in his late 20s, so he's not a veteran quarterback that's been in the league for 15-plus years. But I think what we were seeing from Dalton was just an ultra amount of conservativeness on his end, unwilling to really make throws down the field last year. 
But under Bill Lazor, something is clicking, something is working right because Dalton looks like that gunslinger that we all know him to be coming out of TCU. Now, in his past two games against NFC opponents, Dalton has 617 pass yards, so averaging 309 yards per game with five touchdowns and one interception for 108.6 QBR. So you know he's had some success against the NFC, and he'll face a Saints secondary that has had its struggles. They acquired Eli Apple. They're trying to solidify that in, but they have made some progress over the last couple of weeks. You're seeing a guy like P.J. Williams, who's upped his play a little bit. But Dalton will have the opportunity to put together another big game if he can read his keys the right way and rely on Joe Mixon and this rushing attack. Now, one thing that has really been a positive for the Cincinnati Bengals offensively is that they've excelled in red zone scoring this season. Their offense has scored touchdowns on 20 of their 26 trips into the red area, which is good for a league-best 76.9% rate. In addition, the Bengals also rank 5th in total scoring percentage in the red zone, coming away with points on 92.3% of their trips inside the 20-yard line. That's 26 possessions and 24 scores coming out of that result. So when you're able to punch the ball in for 6 Instead of settling for three, that typically does bode well for your chances to win in the NFL as we continue to see this league evolve into a pass-first league where you're seeing offenses putting up 20 to 30 points a game. So the Bengals will certainly need to hang a large amount of points to stay stride for stride with Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. And now looking at these matchups that this game will provide for us one of them that I always like to look at is the receiver versus corner one-on-one battles and Michael Thomas looks like he'll be facing a combo of Drake Kirkpatrick and William Jackson now both of these corners for Cincinnati they're long rangier corners they do a nice job of playing tight coverage at the line of scrimmage they can jam you and so I do think they match up well with Michael Thomas now Does that mean they're going to stop them? Not necessarily, but at least these are corners that have the size to be able to at least contest and contend passes that are thrown his way. Because as we've seen time and time again, Drew Brees really loves to throw up that 50-50 ball to Michael Thomas to let his big 6'3 framed wideout go up and snag it, which he ends up doing more times than not. So look for these corners to really be aggressive with Michael Thomas. And as I said, if Des Bryant is on the field, even if he's in a limited role, that's really going to take some focus off Thomas because you have to remember that Des Bryant is still a very viable target in this league. I know many people question if he's washed up. 
He's 30 years old, actually just turned 30, but this guy is still an explosive wideout. He could take a five-yard slant and power his way for a first down. So I'm telling you, this addition for the Saints offense, it's really going to pay off big time for an offense that's already giving defensive coordinators nightmares and headaches on a week-to-week basis. Now, how about this one? And I think this game is really going to come down to which defense can make enough stops in the fourth quarter. The Cincinnati Bengals, they rank 32nd in pass defense, and the Saints are right there with them at 31st. So these are two units that have just been trying to limit opposing offensive attacks. And I really do think that the Bengals will find some success, especially if they can get a run game going. Now, it will not be easy. This Saints run-stopping ability, it's the real deal. And we saw that on Sunday when Todd Gurley and this high-octane Rams offense traveled to Louisiana and this front of Sheldon Rankins and Cam Jordan, these guys were stout for most of the game. And so that's one thing that Cincinnati really has to be careful because if they're unable to generate any effective ground attack, it's going to make Dalton go to the air, which, yeah, I mean, it may not be a bad thing considering how much the Saints struggle in defending against the pass. But when there's no balance going up against the New Orleans Saints, it could really take the rhythm out of it for Cincinnati, which means going to the air, which means quick three and outs, which means putting Drew Brees on the field at a frequent rate, which likely means you're not going to win a ball game when that's the scenario. So that too will be another key swing factor as to if Cincinnati can win a big home game. And they really need this one. I understand they're two games above 500, but the way Pittsburgh's playing right now, they almost got to stay within a two-game reach of them if they want any chance at being crowned AFC North champs. Now, will they get it done? Will they knock off the New Orleans Saints and halt that seven-game win streak? And my answer is no. I'm going to take the Saints to win this game. 31-26. If the Bengals secondary was playing a little bit better, I understand they got Sam Hubbard, the talented rookie that's been a force alongside Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap. Look for this defense under Terrell Austin to dial up some pressure on Drew Brees. But in the end, too much firepower. Alvin Kamara, this guy... Not only is he one of the best running backs in this game, but I also I think there's an argument to be made that he's also one of the top receivers. The way he's able to break in and out of his cuts and get open so easily over the middle of the field. Vontez Burfick, we don't know if he's going to be on the field for Cincinnati this week. So that's another potential key loss for Cincinnati on the defensive side of the ball. But this Saints offensive line has been magnificent you watch film and they are cohesive as a unit they work well max unger anchoring the line at center then taron armstead both offensive tackles ramschick they have allowed very little sacks on drew Brees, and i think they're going to be able to keep this defensive front in check drew Brees will have another big day to the air and i think that's enough to get the saints their eighth straight win over a hungry Cincinnati Bengals team that is coming off their bye week. On we go to matchup number two between the 7-2 New England Patriots and the 4-4 four four Tennessee Titans. 
This game as well is a 1 p.m. Eastern time start. Now let's get right into it. Mike Vrabel, he's got the ties to New England. I mean, he played there with the Patriots, was a very productive player under Bill Belichick, and I thought it was interesting because he met with the media earlier this week, and it almost sounded as if he still holds a grudge against Bill Belichick for being traded to Kansas City. And he even said it himself. He's like, I didn't talk to Bill for over a year, you know, just trying to recover from, in a sense, being backstabbed by an organization that he had given several good years of football to. And so I thought that added a little dynamic into Sunday's matchup between two teams that are similar in many ways. You look at Tennessee and they have a lot of that Patriots bloodline going on in their franchise. John Robinson, the GM, has a background in New England. Of course, Mike Vrabel, they went ahead and signed Deion Lewis from New England, Malcolm Butler from New England. So you could tell that Vrabel's trying to replicate a similar philosophy that in which he learned in New England as a player. And now he did clarify that he is not Bill Belichick. He is his own coach. He has his own personality, right? And I think we can all agree to that because you watch Bill Belichick and pressers and the guy is as rough as it gets around the edges. These reporters almost got to be tiptoeing when it comes to their questions because Bill Belichick will call them out for dumb questions. So that's enough with the ties from Brable and Bill Belichick. Let's now get into the matchup, the nitty gritty, right? So the Patriots are playing some good football right now in the month of November. Tom Brady, he owns a 5-1 record and is 2-1 in games played at Tennessee. He's faced the Titans twice in the postseason and is 2-0 against those. One of those playoff games coming last year when they knocked off the Titans in the divisional round. Now, Tennessee, they have one of the better defenses in the NFL. They're allowing an average of 1.27 points per offensive drive, which is tied with the Texans for 7th in the NFL. And I think the Patriots, they will have a tough time accumulating a high amount of points because this is a Titans defense that's very stingy up front under Dean Pease. They're aggressive. They have the playmakers. Although, it is worth noting that New England did put up 38 points on the Chicago Bears defense that leads the league with 1.4 points allowed per drive. So it is very capable and plus it is Tom Brady and it is Josh McDaniels calling the shots. So I think anything is possible as long as those two are fast on their track. Now for context, the Patriots defense, they're tied for 12th as far as points per drive. But when looking at this matchup, right from a grand scheme of things, it's really going to come down to the Patriots' ninth-ranked offense against the Titans' eighth-ranked defense. Malcolm Butler, the former Patriot, boy, has he struggled this season. Tennessee gave him a massive contract back in March, and maybe that's getting to him a little bit in his head. You saw it on Monday Night Football. Yeah, the, the Titans shut down Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys for much of the game, but Amari Cooper just watching his one-on-one -on -one battle with Butler, Cooper certainly got the best of him and in fact beat him. I think it was Hearns who beat him with a double move for a touchdown. And he's just looking all out of sorts. And Vrabel did address that issue. One of his pressers this week and said, no, you know, we're not going to bench Malcolm Butler. We have 
the utmost confidence in him to turn things around. Well, what game better than this one for Malcolm Butler to have a big bounce back game against his former team and Bill Belichick? You gotta believe that he's gonna be playing with an extra chip on his shoulder considering what happened with his Super Bowl benching. But then at the same time, you wanna say not so fast because it looks like he's gonna have to be dealing with either Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, or Chris Hogan, which all three of those wideouts are exceptional route runners. Their chemistry with Tom Brady as far as adjusting their routes when Brady cannot hit or find his first read. So that's something I'm going to be looking at. And I fully expect the Patriots to go at Malcolm Butler early and often. You know, the Patriots like to pick on opposing defenders that they believe is the weak spot and boy I'm sure they've circled Malcolm Butler in that category so I'm sure Tom Brady is going to be looking his way quite often when it comes on Sunday. Logan Ryan the other corner has been pretty solid for the Tennessee Titans. They've received some good contributions from the back end Kevin Bayard who had an interception last week. He's uh, quickly emerging into one of the better young safeties in the game. And Dean Pease, as I just talked about, he's an aggressive defensive play caller. He's got Jarrell Casey, an all-pro defensive tackle that he likes to use in the A and B gap and then coming off the edge. Brian Arakpo, Harold Landry, he's got an assortment of edge rushers that he can use. Now, Derek Morgan was inactive in Week 9, and the Titans are hoping that maybe they can get him back, and that would be a boost for a pretty deep rotation as it is. But I'm going to be looking at this matchup between Rayshon Evans, the rookie linebacker from Alabama, and Sony Michelle, who the Patriots will be getting back in their starting lineup after missing the last couple of games due to a knee injury. The Patriots like to establish their run game from the jump. And they oftentimes have a lot of success. You know, Shaq Mason was out last week. I think he should be on track to return. So, you know, regardless of who's in an offensive line, the scheme sets this Patriots offense up for success, even when it has a player like Corderell Patterson, who's a receiver, who touched the ball more than any other running back against Green Bay and was ultra successful in doing so. Big physical dynamic running back when the ball's in his hands. And so my point is, is that New England, they're going to look to get going on the ground, whether it's with inside zone plays or outside tosses. And Rayshon Evans, who's been an anchor of this Titans defense, and he's been very good in playing the run. And you saw that against Dallas, where he was able to stuff the middle and stop Ezekiel Elliott from breaking off a long run. And so looking at a runner like Sony Michelle, who's such a physical downhill runner, if he can plug the holes and stop the bleeding, so to speak, from giving up big chunk plays. It's going to put a little bit more pressure on Tom Brady in this past game to get going. And it's not going to be easy. As I've mentioned, there's a consistent pressure being applied by this Titan secondary. They're going to make you beat them with the long ball because they're going to vacuum everything up underneath. They're going to take away those short, quick slants that Tom Brady likes to go to and I'd have to assume they're going to be doubling Rob Gronkowski if he's playing again. And if not, they're going to double-team Julian Edelman in the slot. They completely wiped away Cole Beasley from being a factor in Dallas last week. And I'm sure they're going to want to do the same with Edelman, who's one of the best slot receivers in the NFL when he's firing on all cylinders and he's on the same page with Tom Brady. Now, you flip it to the other side of the ball, the Titans 
who they've been really ineffective on offense for a large portion of the season, ranked in the low 20s. But maybe it looks like they've hit their stride a little bit. Matt LaFleur called an exceptional game. Marcus Mariota was efficient. He's fully healthy. He has feelings in his fingers again. And boy, you know, that does make a huge difference as a signal caller in the National Football League. And look, this Titans team, they are built and structured to be a run-first team. That's their identity. Although they rank just 16th in that category, that's a clear point of emphasis for Tennessee. That is their DNA, and that's how they want to be able to win games by pounding the rock with Derrick Henry and then Deion Lewis, who had a little bit of a breakout game last week. They like what he brings, a change of pace back and also a factor in the passing attack. And they may be without Jack Conklin, their starting right tackle, who's in the concussion protocol. And to me, that's big because... While nobody necessarily scares anybody on the Patriots depth chart when it comes to edge rushers, but boy, Trey Flowers and Adrian Claiborne, those two guys are probably some of the most underrated edge rushers in the NFL. You saw what they were able to do to Aaron Rodgers, getting in the backfield, winning quick off the line of scrimmage. And so without a player like Conklin, who really specializes in the run game, that may prompt Tennessee to favor the left side a little bit more and run behind Taylor Lewin, the all-pro left tackle, but that's not going to be an easy task either. You got Claiborne playing the strong side defensive end, Dante Hightowers had himself a day, and then Kyle Van Noy, who's a east-to-west sideline-to-sideline Bahawk that is always around the ball. So getting this run game trending in the right direction Early in this game is going to be pivotal and really it's a lifeline for Tennessee because if they cannot get this ground attack rolling, it's going to make Mariota try to win this game with his arm. And now I'm I'm not going to sit here and say he can't because he shows flashes where it's like, okay, this guy can put the ball in tight windows. He can make throws inside the pocket. He can get around and move the chains with his mobility, but that's just not him. That's not the Titans identity. And if New England can completely take away the run game and make them one-dimensional by giving Tom Brady the ball two or three times every single quarter, then this game could be out of hand by the time we start the fourth quarter. However, I don't expect that to be the case. I actually think this is going to be low scoring. I think Tennessee, they're going to be able to generate some pressure on Brady. I think it's going to result in maybe a strip sack, maybe an interception coming from the back end of their defense. But in the end, I cannot pick against New England. Tennessee, they have talent on both sides of the ball. Yes, they're coming off a win. They snapped a three-game losing streak. I do think there's going to be an extra sense of urgency and fire from Rabel's standpoint, knowing he's facing the New England Patriots. They'll be at home, but the Patriots right now, they're on another gear. They're operating at a level where they are almost unbeatable. And I know it's a little strange to say that, right? Because if a team has the right formula, you can knock them off any given time. But this is a team that is just so well coached, very well disciplined. They limit penalties. And I think that'll prove to be the difference. I think the Patriots, they're able to limit Mariota and what he's able to do down the field. Stephon Gilmore has been very good out there, shutting down half the field. I'm sure he'll draw a matchup with Corey Davis, who's also a very 
physical wideout, and they're going to put some pressure on these other wideouts, Tajay Sharp and this tight end, Janu Smith, who had himself a, a pretty productive game last week. They're going to make other guys beat him other than Corey Davis. And that's something that Bill Belichick specializes in every single week in every matchup. He will take away the team's number one threat. And boy, I can just imagine that they already have a game plan in place to completely negate Deion Lewis and what he can do for this Titans offense, whether it be in design screen plays or bubble screens, getting him the ball out in space. And I think the Patriots win this game 23-17. Six-point margin, so I'm not expecting a blowout by any means. I think this game will be tightly contested in the final minutes of the fourth quarter, but I just feel like Tom Brady will get an opportunity late in the game to go and put this one away with a touchdown. I think New England gets the job done. It may not be pretty for the Patriots, but it's going to be enough to get a victory over a Tennessee Titans team that is still trying to sort things out, and yes, they've Figured some things out, it looks like it, but we also have to remember that Dallas is a mediocre team at best. They haven't faced a team like New England, and when they do on Sunday, I think it'll prove to be a little bit too much for them to overcome at this point in the season. And the last matchup that I want to break down is the 3-5 Dallas Cowboys at the 4-4 Philadelphia Eagles. This is a Sunday night matchup, 8.20 p.m. Eastern Time. The Eagles are entering Sunday night's matchup well-rested after that bye week, while the Dallas Cowboys are traveling on a relatively short week coming off that loss to the Tennessee Titans. While the momentum may be on the Eagles' side after perhaps... Reviving their season in London against Jacksonville, their matchup on Sunday is obviously a huge division game and one they must win to catch up to the Washington Redskins and put themselves in a position to repeat as NFC East champs and the possibility of defending their Super Bowl championship. Now some good news for the Eagles this week is that Darren Sproles, who's been Nursing a hamstring injury since week one is expected back on Sunday night. Right tackle Lane Johnson, who suffered a sprain MCL in London, is on track to play as well. So encouraging news. It looks like this Eagles team is fully healthy, revitalized, and ready to make that second half push back into the playoffs. So good news for the Philadelphia Eagles. And as for the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, boy, it's been a media circus for them this week. Following that loss, a lot of people calling for Jason Garrett to be fired. Scott Linehan, people are wondering if and when they would relieve him of duties as the primary play caller. Through it all, Jerry Jones decided to not make any changes entering Sunday night's primetime showdown with their division rival, Philadelphia Eagles, a lot of talk about Dak Prescott and if he's the long-term answer and the defense allowing the Titans to convert 79% of their third down attempts last Monday night in what was just a shameful performance at home in prime time. So you know they're going to look to get back on track, but things will not be easy for them in Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field. Here's some matchups to watch. The first one being here on my list is Demarcus Lawrence against Lane Johnson. Make no mistake about it, Lawrence is the Cowboys' best player on defense. He's the biggest impact player that this defensive unit has because of his ability to 
make a living in the backfield and generate consistent pressure. Now, mind you, Lawrence, it was revealed earlier this season that he's playing through a torn labrum, so you got to give him props for playing through that tough injury that ends up putting players out for 8 to 10 months, but yet he's still playing through it. He was second in the NFL a season ago with those 14 and a half sacks and fourth with four forced fumbles. Now, he hasn't made quite as much noise after getting off to a hot start. He has six and a half sacks and one forced fumble, but he's still on pace for a 13-sack season, which is pretty darn good. Another thing that Lawrence does present is he has a knack for popping the ball out. You saw he put together another strip sack on Marcus Mariota on Monday night, and that, I guess, should be of concern for the Philadelphia Eagles considering Carson Wentz and his known fumbling issues and they are well documented by now. And Lane Johnson talked about him. He's expected to play. However, he's really struggled this season uncharacteristically. This is a tackle that is always playing solid football for the Philadelphia Eagles, but he hasn't quite been on his game. Now, you can credit that to a high ankle sprain that he had been dealing with earlier this season. So I'd imagine that that has something to do with his performance, not being able to plant on that ankle comfortably. But it looks like he's close to 100%. But even if he isn't, look for the Eagles to give him some help by maybe leaving a tight end in, whether that be Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz in some formations. And then look for these running backs of Philadelphia, Corey Clement, Wendell Smallwood. I'm sure they're going to be giving him some pass protections and keeping him to protect Carson Wentz on that right side of the offensive line. Now, matchup number two. Ezekiel Elliott in this Cowboys run game against the Eagles rush defense. Look, through the first eight games of the season, opposing offenses haven't even bothered trying to run against the Eagles. To date, the Eagles have faced 150 rushing attempts, which is the fewest in the NFL by a margin of 20 rushing attempts. So let that sink in a bit. The Redskins have faced the second fewest rushing attempts at 170 rushes. Now, opposing offenses have largely recognized that the Eagles secondary has been vulnerable, especially to big plays. Whether that be because they're banged up or underperforming or whatever the case is, that's clearly been the weak spot of Jim Schwartz's defense. But they've also taken into account that this Eagles run defense They rank number one in the NFL and are good at stopping and plugging the run in the interior as well on the outside with their athletic linebackers, Jordan Hicks and Gruger Hill, who's also played some solid snaps. Nathan Jerry, who's also been dinged up, hasn't played much, but this is a guy that can play from sideline to sideline. He's a converted safety out of Nebraska. And looking at this Cowboys team, they're designed to run the football. They're designed to be a physical smash-mouth offensive team that's going to grind out tough runs with Ezekiel Elliott. And this is for several reasons. One, Dak Prescott hasn't shown that he can carry this team with his arm. Another is that the coaching staff really struggles to put some creativity in their play calling, as I mentioned at the beginning of this segment. Scott Linehan, I'm not sure how he still has a job because people say it all the time. NFL analysts, commentators, opposing teams, defenders, they'll come out and say, well, the Dallas Cowboys are pretty predictable. We load the box, pressure Dak Prescott, take away the run, and the Cowboys offense is pretty much non-existent. Another reason is they have Ezekiel Elliott. 
who they invested a number four overall pick in 2016. And they believe they still have a good offensive line despite this year's struggles. Of course, Dallas had that shakeup, firing Paul Alexander and assigning Mark Colombo, who had been an assistant, to take over that role. But things still aren't looking good for that offensive line. I mean, they got dominated by a superior Tennessee front seven that was all over Dak Prescott. I mean, I know Elliott had 75 total yards from scrimmage in the first half, but after that, once Tennessee really hunkered down and picked up and adjusted to Dallas's one-dimensional play calling, they completely shut down this Dallas offense, and that's not the only time it's happened. You're, you've seen other teams and the Cowboys' other four losses, they're three and five, right? But look what Washington did on the road. They limited Dallas as well. And by the way, this Cowboys team is not good when playing away from home, so that's another factor in this game. Now, another matchup here. The Eagles pass rush against the Cowboys' offensive tackles. Now, the Cowboys, in the same breath, yes, Tyron Smith is still a perennial all-pro offensive tackle, but he looks like he's been struggling a little bit. I don't know if it's because of the injuries, the, the consistent wear and tear on his body, back injuries, you know that plays a factor. And then you look at the right side, Lyle Collins, who's talented in his own right, very athletic, but he struggled in pass protection. You've seen outside linebackers and defensive ends on that side really have success getting to him and having their way, whether that be in spin moves to the inside or a pass rush swim to the outside. And looking at this Philadelphia defensive front, I know they lost Derek Barnett for the season, but they still have a deep rotation with Michael Bennett, who people forget that this guy is one of the best to do it in this business. And then Chris Long, who comes in on third down situations and can still generate a nice pass rush. And then look what they can do in the interior. Fletcher Cox, we know the all-pro dominant interior player that he is. And Haloti Nada, and then they may be able to get Tim Jernigan back on Sunday night. But if not, he's certainly on the way. He returned to practice to some extent. But if the Philadelphia Eagles can dominate these offensive tackles and generate pressure off the edge it is going to continue to make life difficult for Dak Prescott and this pass game to get moving now one thing I will say is they should have some opportunities to throw the ball down the field and that's a perfect segue into my final matchup here that I want to talk about is the Eagles hobbled secondary against the Dallas receivers who by the way Amari Cooper this will be his second game with a star on his helmet. He made his debut at five receptions for 56 yards and a touchdown against Tennessee. But the Eagles, they could be without three starters in their secondary. Now, this does include Rodney McLeod, who suffered that knee injury earlier this year. But slot corner Sidney Jones may not be available, as well as outside corner Jalen Mills. So this is a big weak spot for Philadelphia that if Dak Prescott and Scott Linehan and this offense, if they want to find a way to move the ball consistently as opposed to being stuffed on the ground by this stout front seven that Philadelphia possesses, then they may have a chance to keep up with Carson Wentz. But the question is, is will Dak Prescott A, have time to throw the ball? And if he does... Is he going to be able to exploit the Eagles' flaws in the secondary? Because it seems like he misses a lot of open receivers many times where these receivers will have their corner beat in one-on-one matchups, but Dak Prescott 
either doesn't have the confidence to thread the needle in there or he just is being overly cautious and would rather tuck the ball and run. So make no mistake, Dallas will have their opportunities to have some quick strikes down the field. And in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas connects on a couple of long balls to Amari Cooper, maybe Michael Gallup, the talented rookie that continues to emerge into a viable number two. And then Alan Hearns and Beasley, who was basically a non-factor because Tennessee wiped them out of the game plan and were comfortable going one-on-one on the outside. But I think this matchup favors the Dallas Cowboys. Now it's on the road, hostile environment, whether they can take advantage, it's there for the taking. But it certainly is one worth mentioning that this can be where the Cowboys can finally maybe see some production through the air. Dak Prescott, if there's a game for him to eclipse 300 yards passing, this is certainly it. And you know what, as crazy as it may sound, I think he has a chance to do it. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement considering that this is a quarterback that passes for 200, 215 yards a game, sometimes doesn't even break the 200-yard marker. But as I said, now having Amari Cooper, being able to stretch the field a little bit with that 4-4 speed. Cooper, this guy has some explosiveness from the line of scrimmage. And I'm sure Ronald Darby will be on him. And Darby, after struggling the first couple weeks and getting beat, he's been able to overcome that and play up to his potential. And so that should be a good matchup outside but if Dallas can get creative and maybe move Amari Cooper in the slot and have him go up against Maddox which is a favorable matchup for Dallas there can be some battles won there for the Dallas offense now when it comes to my prediction I have a hard time picking against the Philadelphia Eagles coming off the bye week they're fresh that basically 13 days to look at Dallas to generate a defensive game plan to get their offense in sync with newly acquired wideout Golden Tate, who, by the way, I think he's in for a monster game on Sunday night. Now, I know statistically this Dallas defense, they're good. I mean, they rank in the top five in almost every category, maybe for the exception of rush defense. But Carson Wentz, I mean, you go back to that London game, he looked like the Carson Wentz, the MVP like Carson Wentz from 2017, where He looks comfortable now with that knee. He's planting on it. He's rolling in and out of the pocket, making incredible throws on the run, showing off that accuracy that has made him one of the best young quarterbacks in the league to date. And I expect Golden Tate to fit right in. This is a guy that's already torched the Dallas Cowboys earlier this season as a member of the Detroit Lions where he caught a pass basically in the flats and used his exceptional yards after the catch ability and took one to the house for, I think, 45 yards. And so he really has a good sense of how Dallas plays opposing wideouts. And so I think that's going to be a valuable piece of information for Doug Peterson and Mike Groh in this Philadelphia Eagles offense. Now, I do think Dallas will be able to win the battle at the line of scrimmage. Now, of course, they are dealing with injuries. Taco Charlton with a shoulder David Irving looks like he's not going to be able to play. Suffered that ankle sprain last week during practice. But I think Dallas still has enough. I mean, Antoine Woods, you're seeing him get in some action. Daniel Ross. But on the outside, Tyrone Crawford, Demarcus Lawrence. And then it's going to be Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch. Sean Lee, he re-aggravated that hamstring. He's going to be out four to six weeks. And I honestly don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, Vander Esch and Smith, I think that's probably been the best Position group of this Dallas defense all season long. Two dynamic athletic linebackers that can run, they can cover. And so they'll have to have a very active day, especially 
clogging that run up the middle because while Clement and Wendell Smallwood and Sproles, all these guys aren't the catchy names, you know, you're, you're not seeing them being the type of back that Ezekiel Elliott is where they can torch you for 150 yards by themselves, but they do form a good, strong running back by committee and look for Doug Peterson to try to get them involved. But I think it's going to be Carson Wentz and his arm that's going to win this for the Philadelphia Eagles. And they're going to put Dallas in a big, deep hole. They're going to challenge this offense to score points to win this game on the road. And I just do not believe they have what it takes to get that job done. In fact, I think Philadelphia, I think they roll the Dallas Cowboys easily in a big 30-13 to victory over the Dallas Cowboys in primetime. It'll be yet another underwhelming performance from Dallas. And I would not be shocked if Jason Garrett is removed as head coach after this game. I just get the sense that this is going to be lopsided affair. I think Philadelphia gets it done. Maybe a close game here in the first, maybe second quarter. But when it gets to the second half and this Dallas offense is having to go to the air to hang with Carson Wentz, I just do not have faith in Dak Prescott to be able to do that, whether Philadelphia is dealing with injuries to their secondary or not. I'm not sure that make a difference, just considering the talent Philadelphia has in the front seven. Now I'm going to go ahead and run through the rest of these games before I end today's episode. So here we go, Atlanta at Cleveland. Give me the Falcons, rise up. This is a team that has won three straight games. I think they get a fourth one under their belt. 34-23 over Baker Mayfield on the road. Miami at Green Bay. It's going to be Brock Osweiler yet again. Ryan Tannehill ruled out earlier this week. Aaron Rodgers, I think he finds some redemption. They're at home. Give me the Packers, 27-17. Jacksonville at Indianapolis. Both teams coming off a of bye week. Now this one is pretty Tough to call because I do want to pick the Colts. I like the way Andrew Luck is playing. And this offensive line with Quentin Nelson, they have been able to give Luck something he's been longing for for his entire career, which is just time to survey the field. But something in me believes Jacksonville is going to turn things over. I think they're coming out of the bye, getting a little healthier, getting Leonard Fournette back. I think that's enough for them to pull off a tight victory on the road, 20-17. to Detroit at Chicago. Give me the Chicago Bears, 24-16 in a tight one. Khalil Mack, Allen Robinson should be back on the field for Chicago. I think Mack will continue to have his presence felt now that he's fully healthy from that ankle injury. Arizona at Kansas City. I think Kansas City wins 31-17. The scoreline will indicate that it's a much closer game, but I really think Kansas City will put this one in the bag before the fourth quarter even starts. Look for Patrick Mahomes to continue this hot streak along with Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and Kareem Hunt. Washington at Tampa Bay. Give me the Buccaneers. The Redskins, they are injury depleted. They have a couple of players coming off the street to start on the offensive line. Tampa Bay, while they have been pretty porous against the run, they can apply pressure in the past with Jason Pierre-Paul, Gerald McCoy, Vinnie Curry. I think they're able to do enough on top of a Ryan Fitzpatrick strong performance. Give me them 35-24 over the Redskins. Buffalo at the New York Jets. This game will be played by backup quarterbacks as Sam Darnold has been ruled out. It's going to be Josh McCowan against Derek Anderson if he can clear the concussion protocol. If not, it'll be Nathan Peterman yet again. 
I'm gonna give it to the Jets just because they're at home and you know what don't be surprised to see the Jets offense move the ball more effectively now that McCowan's under center just because he tends to be able to spread the ball down the field a little bit better than a young Sam Darnold I think they still win in an ugly low scoring game 19 to 10 over the Buffalo Bills Chargers at the Oakland Raiders I look for the Chargers to dominate on both sides of the ball the Oakland Raiders we know they're in full rebuild mode they'll be at home it won't matter Chargers win 27 16. the last game here Seattle at the Los Angeles Rams the Seahawks played the Rams very closely at home in Seattle they'll be on the road this time around I still think Russell Wilson will be able to have some success but I think the Rams bounce back they win a tight one 26 to 20 over the Seattle Seahawks on buys this week the Ravens Broncos Texans and Vikings so there you have it there is my Friday episode previewing Sunday's games I appreciate you taking the time to listen and join me I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend and I will be back here on Monday to give my Monday night football preview as well as my high flyer top denier and under fire take care and God bless you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.